You're listening to Comedy Central. Think back for a moment to spring of 2020. Much of the world had ground to a halt, which meant that people weren't driving. They weren't visiting friends or going into the office or hanging out of the passenger side of their best friend's ride, trying to holler at me. If you left your home at all, it was probably to take a sad walk around the block. I mean, at least until you heard someone cough down the street and then you ran your ass back inside. Now, because of all of that, that meant that America's oil industry, which had been producing more than any country in the world, basically shut down. And even though society has ramped back up again, the oil industry hasn't. Early in the pandemic, demand for gasoline dropped dramatically as workers were told to stay home. That immediately walloped the oil and gas industry like nothing ever in its history has ever hit them before. At one point early on in the coronavirus crisis, the price of a barrel of oil, it cost less than zero dollars. When prices dropped abruptly with the pandemic shutdown, U.S. shale producers dramatically slowed the drilling of new wells. Rigs were taken out of service and oil production in the U.S. dropped off significantly. They shut down production. They laid off tens of thousands of workers to try and stay alive during the pandemic. Just like everything else in our lives, uh, the oil production has been impacted by COVID. It can't just flick a switch at a refinery and operations and have everything back to normal. Yeah, one of the reasons gas prices are so high is because America is making less gas than it did before the pandemic. Because people may be driving again, but that doesn't mean that it's easy for gas producers to just instantly produce as much as they were before. You gotta grow a whole new dinosaur and then smush it until the oil comes out. That takes time. And it makes sense that it's gonna take them time to adjust. I mean, it's been hard for all of us, right? Every single one of us, it's been hard for us to get back to normal life after the pandemic. Do you remember the first time you had to make small talk at the office? Nobody knew what we were doing. Welcome to the elevator. Do you remember weather? Yeah, I do not. My wife is leaving me. This is not my floor, but I'm getting out. Now, if America isn't making enough oil to keep up with demand, then why doesn't it just buy more from the rest of the world? Well, it could, but it turns out the people who control the oil in the rest of the world, well, they just don't feel like sharing. Gas price is really not being driven up by the demand on the horizon. It's really more about the supply. Oil producing nations are actually constricting the supply a little bit because they're trying to recoup their pandemic losses. There's a cartel that controls the price of oil internationally, and that cartel is called OPEC. OPEC, the biggest oil producing nations, aren't increasing the amount of oil they release into the global economy. So as demand rebounds in the U.S., Americans are paying about $16 more to fill up their tanks than a year ago. President Biden recently appealed to OPEC and Russia to boost production, but received a flat no. Wow, they received a flat no. I mean, to be fair, every no coming out of a Russian is a flat no. Have you ever talked to a Russian person? They're never afraid of a flat no. Hey, are you having a good day? No. <laughs> well, there's, there's always tomorrow, right? No. And look, you can understand OPEC's position. I mean, how much longer is oil gonna be around, right? They need to make money on this shit now before we're all driving Elon Musk's cars that curse out Bernie Sanders when you honk the horn. And by the way, you also know what this means, right? 
you realize that this is the first time America could openly go to war for oil. Because usually when America goes into the Middle East, it's always like, this isn't about oil. My son is going over there to fight for freedom. But if prices go any higher, now Americans can just be like, Kevin, you get your butt in that fighter jet because your dad is not paying $6 a gallon. That's my steak money. Now, the good news is America is not going to war yet. But asking OPEC nicely also didn't work. So the big question is, what can be done to lower gas prices? Well, the bad news for President Biden is not much. The Biden administration is scrambling for solutions to one of his biggest, biggest political liabilities, soaring gas prices. Like presidents who came before him, Joe Biden has few options when it comes to combating high fuel prices. Nearly a dozen Senate Democrats are calling on Biden to consider all the tools available at your disposal, even the extreme step of banning American oil exports, which Goldman Sachs warned would be counterproductive and could actually raise prices. The president also considering tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, though industry experts have warned that would do little to alleviate the problem. If you ask the energy industry, they would say, well, the White House could cut environmental regulation and maybe that would help. And it could maybe for next winter, but that would take some time. President Biden does not have a magic wand to dramatically lower gas prices. And if he did, judging upon his sinking poll numbers, he would use that magic mm -hmm. wand. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I feel like even if Joe Biden did have a magic wand, he'd still need to recite a spell. And based on what we've all seen, I do not have confidence that he'd be able to get it right. Uh, Alakazam, Ab Abraka, Abdul-Jabbar, uh, one, one of the great Negro, you, you know the thing, you know the thing. Did it work? What's tough for Biden is that it doesn't matter what else he does. If the price of gas stays high, that's that. He could sign all the infrastructure bills he wants. He could get everyone to agree on abortion. But all people care about is how much is the black goo from the ground? Higher than before? Then get the f out of here. A surprising new side effect of COVID-19. And this isn't a physical side effect like shortness of breath or loss of smell or mask ears where the elastic loops make me look like Obama's secret son. No, this is a side effect of how COVID has become a political football, or as Americans call it, a political soccer. But yeah, basically it turns out that once conservatives got angry about having to protect themselves from one disease, they decided to do it with other diseases as a matter of general principle. New polls out suggest Republicans are much less likely to get a flu shot now than they were before the COVID pandemic. Several national polls say there was not much difference between the number of Republicans and Democrats getting a flu shot in the years before the coronavirus pandemic. However, Business Insider is reporting there's now a 20% gap between the members of the two political parties. About two thirds of Democrats say they have or plan to get a flu vaccination, while for Republicans, that number is less than 50%. Researchers say that indicates the political battle over the COVID vaccine is now affecting flu shots as well. Yeah, that's right. Many Republicans have turned against the COVID vaccine so hard that now they're turning against the flu shots. And look, with the COVID vaccine, I get it. I get it. It was new. People didn't trust the technology. But guys, the flu shot has been around since forever. You can't decide now to hate it. It would be like if everyone suddenly decided to hate Betty White. I mean, we were all cool with her for 140 years. What changed? And if you ask me, this is a selfish decision because people who don't get the flu shot spread the infection to everyone. 
They sneeze into the air that we breathe. They grab the doorknobs that we grab. They touch the subway poles that the rest of us lick. It's disgusting. That's why I'm getting my flu shot for sure. Although I'm gonna space it out from my COVID shot. You know, I don't wanna have two shots close to each other. Otherwise, they're both gonna be there in my body at the same time. They might start a turf war. Shit starts popping off in my pancreas. Now it's in the crossfire. I don't want that shit, you know? I'm trying to keep it safe in my body. It just really feels like we're moving to a place where all of science is gonna become partisan. That's what it feels like. And like in a few years, you're gonna hear news reports like Democrats are sticking by gravity, but many Republicans say they're not interested anymore. Polls show that up to 40% of Republicans are now floating off into space. <laughs> and now Dulce, over to you in the weather. <laughs> it's not as warm as it should be because I gotta wear a coat and put my toes away and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I'm a summertime beach. This, this COVID flu thing is wild. Well, the only good thing about this is now if we don't want them to do things, we can just threaten to vaccinate them. What do you mean? Like if they try to storm the Capitol again, just be a bunch of cops being like, sir, if you come across that line, we will vaccinate you. <laughs> don't make us make this flu shit airborne, sir. Sir, hold them down, hit them in the neck. Ah, like now you just got cops running around with needles. Just a bunch of rogue nurses out here trying to help the, like just trying to help the government. I think you, you've just stumbled upon the next wave of American law enforcement. This is actually pretty good. Get him. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on from the war on science to the war in outer space. Because yesterday, Russia woke up and decided to make things much more dangerous up there than it needs to be. Now to a conflict in space. The U.S. is slamming Russia for carrying out a missile test that created a serious amount of dangerous space debris, which could remain in orbit for decades, threatening space travel even. This morning, outrage from U.S. officials after Russia carried out a missile test early Monday, firing an anti-satellite missile into space, obliterating one of its own satellites and creating a vast debris field that's now orbiting Earth. Some of that debris comes coming dangerously close to the International Space Station, which is currently carrying four U.S. astronauts. The crew sheltering for more than two hours until they were finally given the green light. Secretary of State Antony Blinken slamming the Russian missile test, calling it dangerous and irresponsible, and adding that the debris will remain a threat for decades. Yeah, Russia blew up a satellite with a rocket. And guys, I keep saying this, but these gender reveals are getting out of hand. But for real though, I don't understand why Russia blew up their own satellites. I mean, maybe it was announcing that it was running against Putin, who knows, but, but there's gotta be a better way to do this. I mean, if you wanna get rid of something, you just do what New Yorkers do, drag it to the sidewalk and leave a big free sign on it, you know? But people blowing it up so it sends lethal debris shooting around in orbit, that's unacceptable, guys. And if you ask me, someone needs to stand up to Russia. Like, Maybe America should start some sort of force to like defend space, you know? What's that? Oh, it did. Ah, and I called it the most pointless thing since Trump created Don Jr.? Nah, that doesn't sound like me. All right, thank you, thank you. Well, look, man, this is one thing I love about America. America would never launch a missile at a satellite. I mean, they, they tried, but it accidentally hit a wedding in Syria. But the point is, they didn't hit the satellites. All right, let's move on to a threat that is closer to Earth. Vigilante white dudes. Boo! Yesterday, the arguments at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial wrapped up, and now the jury has to decide 
whether he'll go to prison or become Trump's running mate in 2024. Meanwhile, down in Georgia, they've begun the murder trial for the three men charged with chasing down and killing Ahmad Arbery last year. Now, for obvious reasons, this trial is getting a lot of national attention, but the lawyer for one of the defendants, well, he seems to have a big problem with who is paying attention. An explosive morning in the trial of the three men accused of murdering Ahmad Arbery with a still smoldering racially charged debate spurred on by defense attorneys over black pastors in the courtroom. Defense attorney Kevin Goff objecting to Reverend Jesse Jackson's presence in the gallery. How many pastors does the Arbery family have? Um, we had the Reverend Al Sharpton here earlier, uh, last week. Which pastor is next? Is Raphael Warnock gonna make it be the next person appearing this afternoon? We don't know. With all due respect, Your Honor, the seats in the public gallery of a courtroom are not like courtside seats at a Lakers game. Hmm. All right, first of all, of course this trial is not like a Lakers game, right? The jury has 11 white people and only one black guy. That's basically the opposite of any basketball team. And secondly, I'm not saying that this guy is racist, but when you're representing a guy who killed a black man just for jogging in the wrong neighborhood, it's not a great look to be pointing into the gallery and going, hey, this black guy doesn't belong here. We should do something about that. Come on, Jasper, you wanna do it again? And thirdly, black pastors have been supporting families in need from the beginning of time. Why are you shocked by this? They, they show up for everything, whether it's kids killed in gang violence, or whether it's a civil rights issue, it doesn't matter what it is, they'll show up. Hell, if you need them, they'll even show up for emotional support at your kid's spelling bee. Lord Jesus, please show this dumb little kid how to spell platypus. His family's been through enough. Mm, amen and amen. What I'm confused about, listen, I grew up in Georgia. Everybody is a pastor. Um, <laughs> everybody's a pastor. What are you talking about that you don't want pastors here? Everybody in Georgia's a pastor. Also, how am I supposed to trust a Southern white man that don't want the Lord in the room? <laughs> you don't want one of God's servants. Yeah, I, I, you're right, I don't get it. It'd be different if like Jesse Jackson was in there taking up a collection for a building fund. So they're not taking up a collection. It's not like they're in there preaching. They're so you're not, saying it could have been worse? It could have been way worse. They could have brought a whole choir in there with them. Because if I'm a black pastor coming to that trial, I'm bringing in a whole black, I'm bringing in a whole choir and tambourines and they're going, they guilty, they guilty. That's what I'm doing if I'm a black pastor down there. I'm bringing a choir in and being like, George, tell your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor, this man is guilty. Woo, yeah. I would start a sermon every time I walked into place. They're just sitting there being quiet. It's a, he said it's a public gallery. Yes. They are the public. Anybody can show up. You can go. All right, and finally, yesterday, President Biden held a ceremony on the White House lawn, along with Democrats and Republicans from Congress. And they were doing this to finally sign his big infrastructure bill. And guys, I, I, I really am confused about why they have to sign the bill in public. I mean, I know it's important legislation, but as a spectator sport, it's pretty boring, you know? Like, where's the drama? You know, ooh, maybe the pen will run out of ink. F*** right here, man. Also, why are they even having a bill signing celebration? Passing laws is their job. Nobody else gets to do that at their job. Like after you make photocopies for your boss at the office, you don't get to pose for pictures while shaking hands. <laughs> I didn't think you could get it double-sided. Well done, Billy, well done. But look, I do get why lawmakers are excited about this. It's the biggest investment America has made in itself in decades. And 
There's also some smaller things in this bill that might do a lot of good. How to stop drunk drivers before they even put the car into gear. It has been talked about for decades, but now, thanks to the infrastructure bill passed by Congress last week, it could finally happen. It includes a mandate for automakers that all new cars must use technology that prevents drunken people from driving. It will be as standard as airbags. The U.S. Transportation Department will decide the type of technology that will be required. It's estimated 9,400 lives will be saved every year. The drunk or otherwise impaired driver will get in their car and it either won't start, won't move, or will pull itself over depending on what technology is selected. The sober driver will get in their car and never even know it's there. All right, I think we can all agree, this is an amazing law. First of all, because it'll hopefully save lives. And secondly, because some people will be so drunk, they won't even know that the car hasn't started. You realize that, right? He's gonna get in and be like, vroom, vroom, vroom. get out of the way, get out of the way. Ah! All right, I'm home now. Wow, my, my home looks just like the bar. All right, guess it's time for round two. And I know some people are asking, how will they develop technology to determine if someone is drunk? What does that mean? Guys, we already have that technology. It's called a karaoke machine. No, but for real, no one is sure what technology they'll actually use to detect if you're drunk driving, right? It could be something that tracks if your eyes stay open or if you're swerving out of your lane or if you're just trying to get to a Taco Bell. I just hope it's not a breathalyzer. That's the one thing I hope. I don't want a breathalyzer hooked to the dashboard because I'm sorry, I'm not trying to give my car every time I want to go somewhere. Well, I want to save that for special occasions, you know, like our anniversary or a Toyota-thon. There is one huge loophole in this law, though, and that is it only needs to be available in new cars. Yeah. I mean, that's still good, but it means if someone really likes drunk driving, all they got to do is drive an old car. In fact, at some point, we're probably going to be able to tell who's committed to drunk driving because it's going to be like 2060 and they'll still be driving a Kia Sorento from 2005. Yeah, you just can't give this baby up, man. You know me, I love vintage cars. <laughs> yeah. Today's big basketball story. And no, I'm not talking about everyone dunking on the Eternals. I'm talking about an iconic stadium that's taking on a brand new identity. After 22 years, Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles is getting a new name, and it's a real sign of the times. Beginning Christmas Day, the home of the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings will be known as Crypto.com Arena. The cryptocurrency trading platform reportedly paid more than $700 million for the naming rights. The Lakers won six championships in this building. The Sparks won three titles. The Clippers play here, too. You know, it'd be weird. This is, uh, you know, I grew up. This being Staples and Staples being, you know, the place to play and the place to be. It's kind of like just stripping the, the history here. Well, I mean, I don't know if you need to get that sentimental, Paul. You know, it's not like Staples is a sacred name from the ancestors. It's a store where you buy 50 packs of binders, even though you only need one. You know, and then when you get home, you find out they were the wrong size anyway. You don't need to get that nostalgic about it. Like, it's company. And if you do want to get nostalgic, just wait, just wait. I promise you, soon we'll all get used to Crypto.com Arena. And in 20 years, when they change that name to Nanobot X Arena or whatever, your kids will be upset about that. Back in my day, this stadium wasn't about the latest Fed. It was about swapping blockchain currencies on a digital market exchange. There was culture attached to it, you know? NFTs. And look, this, this shouldn't come as a surprise, but anywhere a team can advertise, they're gonna advertise. Right? The stadiums, the jerseys, the courts, they literally started showing commercials during free throws. You realize that? 
We're two months away from the NBA selling name rights to the score. It's gonna be like, and the game ends with a score of 84 to Mountain Dew. A big win for the Lakers or a big loss. I can't tell what's happening. But I mean, can you blame the arena though? If people are offering you a shitload of money to use their name, you do it. I mean, that's what I did. I sold my naming rights to a guy named Trevor Noah for 40 bucks. What, what you didn't know this? Come on, do I look like a Trevor? My real name is Bert Pakowski. I'm sorry, I just can't stop picturing them removing the Staples logo with one of those giant staple removers. <laughs> <laughs> just a giant claw. Sorry, oh. the edible's kicking in, I think. I need to know what edibles these are. All right, let's move on from sports to music. And the woman that everyone is talking about right now, Taylor Swift, pop star, songwriter, and inventor of the color red. Personally, I love Taylor Swift, huge fan. Really nothing bad to say about her. But even if I had something bad to say about her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. Because Taylor Swift's fans are super protective of her. Like, like they're like one of those old fashioned dads with a shotgun who doesn't want you to marry his daughter because he wants to marry her. You see, Taylor Swift has been re-recording all of her old albums, which means people are re-listening to all of her old songs about her famous exes and then getting mad at those exes all over again on her behalf. And while Taylor may be content to address her old boyfriends with heartfelt lyrics and songs that are, again, I wanna stress this, perfect in every way, some of her fans are a lot less subtle. This is going a little too far. While Jake Gyllenhaal is taking incoming fire from the Swifties, another one of Taylor's exes is being bombarded with messages now. A user on Instagram sent John Mayer a direct message telling him, fuck yourself, you ugly bitch. I hope you choke on something. Mayer then responded to the user, saying that he'd been getting many messages like that over the past couple of days, and asking, do you really hope I die? To which the user responded, OMG, what? I don't want you to die. I'm sorry. The user apologized again and admitted they didn't really think Mayer would see the message. You see, people, this is what I hate about social media. It makes people act shittier than they actually are, which then makes us think that people are shittier than they actually are. Because social media makes us forget that we're all human beings. You know, we just see that little avatar and then we all talk shit to each other, but we're all human. Even celebrities are real people, all of them. I mean, obviously, except Timothy Chalamet, he's gotta be CGI, no one can be that good looking. I mean, just look at that person. Now I'm craving spice. God damn, mm, 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 mm. And I know her fans are like, but he hurt her, listen to her song, yes. That's all you're supposed to do, listen to the song. You know, Taylor Swift writes songs to express her emotions in a way that touches other people. Not to order a hit on her ex-boyfriends. So death threats are not the way to go, especially with someone like John Mayer. Don't, don't send him death threats. He gets them all the time. If you really wanna upset him, tell him that Ed Sheeran is a better guitar player. Well, that's gonna hit his heart. <laughs> Russia the fictional country depicted in Creed II. They're also the real-life country that likes invading other countries. And now, they might be back on their bullshit. Overseas tonight and the growing concern involving Russia, the U.S. is warning Russia may be weighing a potential invasion of Ukraine. Satellite images tonight showing Russian troops and equipment gathering about 142 miles north of the border with Ukraine. Despite an estimated 100,000 Russian troops gathering along their border, Ukrainian forces appear confident and prepared for battle. 
After years of pushing for membership, the Eastern European country is still not a part of NATO, meaning they don't have treaty protection if Russia invades. Although this hasn't stopped the Americans, British and French from offering statements of support. We are going to uh, watch very closely uh, as the Russian Federation um, uh, chooses its actions in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, that's what I want from my allies is for them to watch very closely as someone whips my ass. Guys, guys, I'm getting attacked! I'm getting attacked! Don't worry, man, we watching them land every punch! Yo, Donnell, you recording, right? Yeah, we got you, boy, we got you! We see them beating your ass! If you're Ukraine, this situation sucks, man, because Russia are the bad guys, right? But it doesn't seem like the world is willing to get into a war to protect Ukraine. And can I be honest? Can I be honest with you? I think it's because people don't have a personal connection to Ukraine. Like, if Russia was invading Italy, or France, well, people would do something about it. Oh no, the art, the Colosseum, we have to protect it. Like if I was Ukraine, I would have bought the worldwide rights to all the Seinfeld reruns, then people would care. If you don't protect us from Russia, you will never again see Kramer open door like crazy. Also, this is genius timing from Russia, right? You realize it's not a mistake because anyone who knows history knows you're not gonna send troops into Russia at the beginning of winter. So basically Russia has like, what, five months to do whatever they want. Yeah, the rest of the world is gonna be standing by like, this will not stand Russia. Your ass is gonna pay as, as soon as mid-April rolls around. It depends on what the groundhog says. And like, why does Russia even need more land? Have you seen Russia? It's huge. Why are you doing this? Like, I would get if Monaco wanted to invade another country. I mean, they're running out of closet space, but Russia? Now, while Russia is getting ready to invade, Another country in Europe is setting up a different kind of invasion because they're not using tanks or missiles, they're using immigrants. Turning out of the border crisis, this one playing out in Europe as thousands of migrants try to enter the European Union from Belarus. These are the front lines of what the European Union says is a hybrid war. The EU accusing Belarus's dictator Alexander Lukashenko of using migrants as weapons, purposefully luring them into Belarus from countries like Iraq and Syria by promising them easy access to Europe. Poland then refusing to let them in, Belarus refusing to take them back, leaving thousands of people stuck in the middle. Man, come on, people, this is just dirty. Basically what's going on is that for a while now, the European Union has been imposing sanctions on Alexander Lukashenko, the dictator of Belarus and Eastern Europe's My Pillow guy. And you see, he's been stealing elections, he's been cracking down on protesters, jailing journalists, basic dictator shit. And now Lukashenko is trying to get back at the European Union by flying in migrants from the Middle East and then sending them into Poland to create a border crisis, which is the most passive aggressive military tactic I have ever heard of. This is like when your parents start cooking with peanuts to get you to move out of the house because they know you're allergic. It's a dick move. And obviously everyone is really mad about this, not just because it's inhumane to these migrants, but because unlike Ukraine, we can't let anything happen to Poland. I mean, that's where all our water comes from. Because you realize people, this is especially cruel, right? It's especially cruel to these migrants. These are real people who are just trying to live better lives. It is disgusting to use them as weapons. I mean, say what you want about Drake and Kanye's beef, but at least they didn't catapult Mexicans at each other. But let's move on. Because while Belarus is trying to destabilize Poland, there's another country that's already on the brink of collapse. 
Ethiopia, where a brutal year-long conflict has forced millions out of their homeland and is threatening to disintegrate into an all-out civil war. Rebels from Tigray province appear to be advancing toward the capital, Addis Ababa. Ethiopia's prime minister called for national unity, and authorities in Addis Ababa rounded up ethnic Tigrayans today. Two weeks ago, the State Department urged all Americans to leave Ethiopia. But with echoes of Afghanistan, the State Department doesn't know or won't say how many Americans are in the country. Last week, the State Department did make a point of saying there would be no Afghan-style evacuation for Americans stuck in Ethiopia. They did, however, offer to help them get on commercial flights out. Yeah, this is tough news for Ethiopians, and this is tough news for Americans in Ethiopia. Because in Afghanistan, the U.S. government staged an all-out airlift. Meanwhile, in Ethiopia, they're like, might we suggest Priceline.com? Like, I don't even know what that means. What do they mean when they say the State Department will help you book a commercial flight out? That's not helpful. People know how to book flights. That's like going, hey, hey, you, do you need a ride? Do you need a ride? Yeah, well, I'm happy to help. So what you gotta do is open Uber on your phone, then you hit request a ride. Best of luck, buddy. Also, flying commercial is the worst way to evacuate a war zone. Can you imagine that stress? Please, please, the soldiers, the soldiers are coming. We need to get out now. Sir, are you a diamond medallion member? Okay, please step aside. Anyone in group A or above, we're boarding you now. Sir, please, please stand back. Just relax, thank you. And you know who this is a great opportunity for though, right? Alexander Lukashenko. Yeah, I bet he's already sliding into American DMs like, I can hook you up with a free private flights to the Polish border. Are you interested? But you got a feel for Ethiopians, man, because anytime their country's in the news, it is either because of war or famine or some long distance runner broke the world record, which are all pretty extreme things if you think about it. I feel like we need more coverage of just like regular ass Ethiopians, you know, who can't run, don't know how to fight, just wanna chill. And please understand this, please understand. This is a really complicated and sensitive story, right? Because for, for about a year now, the government has been at war with a rebel group. But that's like the simplified version because there are so many layers of this conflict that we just don't have the time to do it justice. This is a huge beef with a history that goes back decades involving rival ethnic groups, different territories, foreign interference, because African conflicts are never simple. They're super complicated and everyone has different versions of events. They're basically like white people conflict, but with more seasoning. So from Russia's military to migrants in Belarus, and armies in Ethiopia, people everywhere are on the move. Meanwhile, in India, the only place people might be moving to is back inside. Smothered by smog, a toxic haze hanging over New Delhi, and it is raising the level of air pollution to dangerous levels. Schools in the Indian capital have shut their doors until further notice, and private construction banned, at least for now. India's Environmental Ministry panel on air pollution has directed Delhi and other states to encourage private offices to allow work from home. But for street vendors, staying home is not an option. The pollution is unbearable. The government must take some steps. We are forced to work because we can't stay indoors forever. For now, Delhi's residents will be inhaling this toxic air which according to a report by the University of Chicago, is 10 times worse in Northern India than anywhere else in the world. God damn, did you hear that? The air in New Delhi right now is 10 times worse than anywhere else in the world. That means you'd be better off just sticking your face in that steam that comes out of the ground in New York City. 
Which, by the way, what is that shit? Like, is there a fire down there? I've lived here for many years. I still don't understand what that is. Is like someone dry cleaning a rat? What, what? I feel like it's worth looking into. No one? Just me? You know, one detail I like from the story is that the Indian government put together an environmental ministry panel on air pollution, who confirmed that the air was indeed polluted. Uh, you don't need a panel. I don't know why they did that. Why do governments like doing this? You just need eyes. Yes, after three years of study, we have concluded that Delhi's air is brown and that this is uh, bad. But you see, this is a great example of why we all need to move to cleaner energy. Because yes, it is expensive to do, but it is also hella expensive to constantly shut down the economy when your city turns into a sandstorm from Dune. Except this time, Timothy Chalamet isn't there to make you feel better with that smile. And you might be like, well, Trevor, why don't they just start carpooling in India? My man, they're way ahead of you and it's still not enough. It's actually a real rough spot for India because as a nation, you want to keep modernizing. You want to keep growing. But then the fallout of those effects make it so that you can't even enjoy the fruits of modernization. You know, it's almost like someone who gets really into CrossFit to help them attract women. But then they push everyone away because they can't stop talking about the fact that they joined CrossFit. Now those abs are useless. And you wouldn't be able to tell this from the story, but New Delhi is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I mean, this is what it looked like last year after months of lockdown and the smog dissipating. But now it's back to looking like it's stuck on a permanent sepia filter. All right, but let's move on to our final international story. And like most things in the world, this story was made in China. The royalty of professional tennis expressing concern about the welfare of one of their own. Honestly, it's shocking, you know, that, that she's missing. Peng Chui, a Chinese tennis champion, hasn't been seen or heard from in weeks. In early November, Peng published this bombshell post on her Chinese social media account. An open letter to a former top communist leader named Zhang Gaoli, now aged 75, who Peng accuses of sexually assaulting her after the two had an affair. Shortly after the controversial post, Peng's online profile more or less disappeared. Until recently, Peng Shui was one of the biggest tennis stars in China. But look what happens when you try to search for people with her name in the Chinese internet. You get the message, no results found. Censors have all but scrubbed this woman from the Chinese internet. Now today, a new twist. With Chinese state media releasing this email, purportedly written by Peng to the head of the Women's Tennis Association, it completely disavows the previous allegations of sexual assault, adding, I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe, and, I hope Chinese tennis will become better and better. Yo, this is really disturbing. Someone speaks out about sexual assault and then China's government just makes them disappear? And then what's even worse is that they release some bullshit email pretending like everything is fine? Cause come on people, that email from the tennis star was as legit as the letters I got from my supermodel girlfriend in fifth grade. She's coming next year guys, I swear. This is what makes China so terrifying. Like, if you're on their good side, well, things are great. But if you try to tell the truth about how China is a country that constantly oppresses... Trevor Noah What the hell was that? I'm not even in China! Look, man, it's one thing for your government to come after you. It's another thing for them to just make you never exist. I mean, they scrubbed the internet of anything about this tennis player. 
Do you know how hard it is to get stuff off of the internet? Only China can do that. In fact, if you have embarrassing pictures online or problematic tweets, just move to China and talk shit about the Communist Party. Yeah, they'll clean up your reputation in no time. I mean, yeah, you'll be locked in a basement somewhere, but hey, at least you didn't get canceled. And this also really puts into perspective when people in America complain about being censored by big tech. Oh, Twitter took down my tweet. This is a charity. Guys, Peng Shui literally does not exist on the internet anymore. Like, yeah, maybe Trump can't tweet right now, but you can still Google him. Trust me, just yesterday I searched for Donald Trump big buck photos. I got 80 million hits. And no, I'm not gonna tell you why I Googled that. I like big butts and I cannot lie. Before we go, Native American families suffer from food insecurity and hunger daily. But the Native American Heritage Association, with the help of generous donors, is committed to fighting hunger with emergency food supplies and basic life necessities. So if you can, please donate at the link below to help Native American families stay warm, safe, healthy, and fed this Thanksgiving. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.